my house, you bake from scratch, and you can make a mess. It can be cleaned up. It's okay. And Ellen and I have been baking cookies, and there probably was a little eggshell in the cookie. It's all right. Owen, Owen cracked the egg. But what Owen loves to do after we've baked the cookies, of course, you know, you lick the bowl. But Owen also likes to take his hands in some batter and in the leftover batter, and he likes to run around the kitchen trying to rub it all over me. So this is Owen and I holding up our hands, and if you could see our clothing, it's all stained with cookie dough from how Owen has been chasing me around the kitchen. Now, if you and I were to get together, that would be considered a little odd. But Owen and I can chase each other around the kitchen with cookie dough on our hands, and it's considered okay. So that is one of the things of many that I love about kids, and I'm excited you're all here on Kids Camp Week. We are going to continue our study in the book of James. If this is your first night with us, great. If not, um, and you've been with us, I'm going to review where we've been. We are in the process of answering this series of questions as we walk and work through the book of James. And I told you the first week, and I'm true to my word, every week there's some things that we have to start off with to remember as we study these, this book, or we will miss some really significant things. And the paragraph is at the top of your outline. It is this, James is not a book about how to become a Christian, but it is a book about living a life of faith once you are one. Therefore, James is a book meant to be lived out, and it will require work. To experience the answers to these questions, we don't just need to know some things. We need to live consistently with what we've learned. And there's a phrase at the bottom of your page that says, for this to matter, I must. And that is for you, that as the Spirit teaches you through the Scriptures tonight and God shows you some things you need to do, that is for you to make a list of some things that you need to do this week. The final sentence is, however, we must always remember that our actions are in response to God and must be done with his character and what he has done for us in mind. We will leave this room no more loved and accepted and a child of God than we did when we walk in. We get that by grace through faith, and this is a process of us responding to God and getting to experience in our lives more of him and the answers to these and many more questions as well. I have to tell you that before this series even started, and you are there's a lady in the room, and you're going to know I'm talking about you, but I'm not going to out you. Um, so don't worry. Uh, we were sitting beside each other randomly getting pedicures before James ever started, and she looked over at me. She said, are you here teaching the book of James? I said, yes, I am. She said, you know, I'm going to be coming. And she looks at me, and she goes, so are we talking this week about the tongue? Are we talking this week about our speech? I said, she's read James, and so she knows that James is very direct about our speech. And I said, no, not this week, but it is coming. And she said, Ugh, I know, it's just so hard. So you are out there, and I'm not outing you, but it is this week. <laughs> and I think it's so significant. In James chapter 1, we read a verse that I think is very enlightening to us. It says, as if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And I don't know about you, but I am not interested in a worthless religion. I am interested in something that matters. In true Christianity, true faith in Christ does matter. And so because of that, we've got to figure out why James would make so bold of a statement. What is the big deal with the tongue? 
And how in the world, if it is that significant and that pervasive, which we're going to see tonight, how do we respond to that? And so that is going to be what we're talking about tonight. I'm very excited when we get to the part of telling you the hope, the answer. I'm thrilled to get to that point, but we've got to build to it. So we're going to start by reading the passage. I'll read it aloud, and you read it along with me as we begin to learn some very hard and direct and very important things about our speech. Verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's walk back through these through this passage a little bit slower and see some key things about the tongue. James is going to tell us why it is so important that we understand and deal rightly with our tongue, and then we're going to come back and see how we should actually respond so that our speech can be changed. The first thing I want you to see is in verses 1 through 5, and that is this, that your tongue, though small, is incredibly powerful. We see James pretty directly tell us this, the analogy he uses of just a very small rudder being able to change the direction of an entire ship is a part of how something very small can have very significant impact. Additionally, in verse 1, it talks about and warns those of us who teach to be careful about becoming teachers so we'll be judged with greater strictness. Certainly that is a significant verse talking about the power of what we say, of what we teach, and the impact that that has on others. Certainly that's something that I read that verse and get a little bit scared, or at least it makes me mindful of being very careful with what I say. And certainly we all teach and influence others in other ways, and we need to be reminded of that. In fact, you'll probably laugh at me. I went to dinner after I brought my computer up here so it could be set up for PowerPoint, and it happened to be at a restaurant that they were donating a certain amount of proceeds to some church's kids camp. Um, if we turned our receipt in, and so someone greeted me at the door and said, if you do this, whatever. And so, you know, if you do this, then we'll get the money. And they were real kind, and they turned to walk away, and I looked back at them, and I said, what church is it? And they told me, and it wasn't a name I recognized, and I said, no, what denomination are you 
not so much that I'm driven by denominations, but he answered me and gave an explanation. And I looked at him and said, okay, I was just checking because I'm not giving my money to a church that doesn't teach good theology. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me. I'm sure I'm probably the only person that cared enough about my dollar, but it matters to me that my dollar is not going to teach error because that has significant impact on other people. So this verse obviously is weighing on my mind as I'm reviewing my lesson in the restaurant, and I'm sure they have a nice story to tell and laugh about on Sunday, the crazy girl that didn't want to give her dollar to bad theology, but I'm not interested in even one dollar going to bad theology. So this tongue we have, what we speak of, what we teach, it's, a very powerful thing. What we say is incredibly powerful. Look with me at the next verse. Your tongue can cause massive disaster. Massive disaster for yourself and others. We see in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Your tongue has the impact on your entire body, and setting on fire the entire course of life. And fires, I mean, fires don't usually just stay in one place. They spread. So as our tongue impacts us, it also impacts others and creates massive disaster. I think if we were to look at the history of our world and think about the wars that have started or been stopped by words that were spoken or left unspoken, Families that have been divided by words that have been spoken or left unspoken. Jobs that have been lost by words that have been spoken or unspoken. I think the power of the tongue and the disaster that can come from it is, I'm not even sure we can fathom how significant that is if we were to know what has been said or not said behind closed doors in things that have impacted our world and significant loss of life. Our tongue is incredibly powerful and has the power for immense disaster, not just for ourselves, but for other people. Let's keep going. The third thing, your tongue is hard to tame and control, harder to tame than every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature. And as much as I hate to admit this, this is true, at least of me. I've been talking for a long time now. You would think I would have learned how to totally control what I say. But how many of us do you not still at times think, I cannot believe I said that. I mean, I mean, can we not count? I mean, it would take forever for us to count. Even this week, something, and I left and I thought, did I really say that? Like, what, what was I thinking? Like, I, I don't like this verse, but I can testify that it's true. Because I've been talking a long time, and I, I know better and it's hard to tame our tongue. A lot of labor is involved in this process that we're talking about tonight. The next thing, as we move on and see in verse 8, um, James does not hold back. Your tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Um, very direct. I'm not sure how I can make it any more direct than that. And I think God was merciful enough to me to see this there were a couple of times this week, even, you know, there's certain things with our speech that we kind of write off as not that bad. It's just a little bit of complaining. It's just a little bit of gossip. And I was stuck one day in two different settings around some people who were complaining, and I couldn't really get away, and they were complaining about things they thought were just. And I, I'm not at all dogging them. I think it was God's mercy in showing me 
the impact on that entire group and on me for hours afterwards, I was wrestling with how that poison affected me and responded to that. And I'm not picking on them. It just showed me how sometimes even my justified complaining is really a deadly poison for me and for the people that are around me. Finally, the last thing, and I think the picture that James paints here is so significant. Um, It is offensive. It's offensive and illogical to use your tongue to both bless God and curse people made in his image. Verse 9, I think, is so interesting. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How offensive it is to God when we speak about people, even in ways we consider small or tiny. How offensive that is to God that we speak that way. And it, it just doesn't make sense. James goes on to say, you know, can, can fresh water and salt water come out of the same place? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Clearly, this passage is um, very daunting, because um, we tend to think, oh, I just said that, I didn't really mean it, or whatever. And James really paints the picture here, and, and when we read the scriptures and study them, I think we should go for understanding it intellectually, but also, James is painting a picture here that brings, rises an emotion in us, and I want us to feel that for a minute. How dangerous and disastrous and terrible this this thing is that sometimes we try to write off into not a big deal. In fact, in Proverbs, there's a proverb that I love. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death is in the power of your tongue. You walk around with something that has the power to bring death. It makes us not want to say much for the rest of the day. (laughs) But, thankfully, there is hope And James has painted this picture for us, and I want us to stop and think for a minute and kind of move towards a little bit of the hope. And so I asked, and you may or may not have time at at your tables to get to those questions. It totally is, is fine if you got there or not. And I ask you to think about ways that you have used and seen the tongue used to bring death, ways that what I've called negative fires can be created with our tongue. Ask you to brainstorm at your table about that and also brainstorm ways that there could be positive fires that are created. Because here in Proverbs, we see the flip side to what James has painted for us is though it is powerful in a negative way, it can be powerful in a positive way. And so I'd like for us to look at both. I know you probably already have a list at your table that you've started if you got there, which is great. I've made a list just for us to begin to think through some of these things. You can add these to the ones you already have. This is not an extensive list, but I wanted us to begin to brainstorm so we can look more specifically about the way our tongue brings death. Certainly, though we like to um, gloss over this one and excuse ourselves and think it's not a big deal, James definitely paints a picture that is very different from the picture we want to paint of gossip. But certainly, gossip is a big one, very closely connected to the next one I put down, which is slander. How quickly our just telling a story becomes our commentary on that story and how quickly we are to, as James says, curse people made in the image of God. Um, Certainly, lying is a part of all of us and um, how we speak at times. 
um, even our little white lies, or connected to that, how we real quickly, well, it wasn't really a lie, but we certainly were deceitful in what we said, or connected to that, we're manipulative with what we said. We're using our speech to try to manipulate or cause something to happen. Um, specific types of lies, we can make false vows, things we commit to, and vows that we don't keep. False teaching, certainly. We've talked about that several times, even earlier tonight, in the ways that false teaching brings death. Um, giving a false testimony or a false witness. If we're in, uh, asked to give a report of something in court or in other places, do we speak uh, truth or not? Certainly there's false testimony. We talked about this one earlier, complaining. Um, certainly we're all guilty of that. Often coming from a heart of bitterness, something that we are bitter about that comes out in some sort of complaint. Um, our anger certainly manifests itself in words, quarrels, fightings, all type of different things that our anger overflows. Uh, the last two, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but crude joking and sexual talk and innuendo, I think, are um, pretty apparent. Um, and really, any sort of chick flick that you go to, a lot of comedy on TV, and I think we're becoming very um, sensitized to that, and that's not a good thing. So certainly, and we could give many examples of how we've all done this at different times or laughed at or participated in others doing these, these things. But I want to turn it around and also begin to brainstorm how can our tongue be used to bring life? Because there are things that our speech can be used to bring life. And I am totally a words person. And so words are very important to me as far as encouragement goes. Um, words of affirmation different things that bring and give courage to me and are, are building up. Certainly, um, others of you, I'm sure, in the room share that, but encouraging and building up are significant for me. Some of these we're really able to see and look at kind of the opposite. Slander would certainly be the opposite of building up, opposite of lies, honesty, telling the truth. I thought about how often I call up a friend and say, hey, what should I do in this situation? Wise counsel that we give friends or different people around us certainly can protect us and help, help us in a lot of scenarios. Though we don't like to admit this, a kind, gentle rebuke is often something that can protect us from disastrous mistakes. And our tongue can you be used to help someone kind of get back on the path toward freedom and victory. James is certainly an example of that. Every week we've been rebuked about things, but James' intention is to give us life and protect us from the death and disaster that's out there. Hope. I love how words can bring hope. I love that. Certainly talking about uh, the scripture, what more life-giving words can we have? Things connected with talking about Jesus. Our words can be used in very powerful, life-giving ways when we talk about Christ. Specifically, sharing the gospel with people that don't know Christ. Again, incredibly life-giving ways that we can use this powerful thing that God has given to us. Praising God. And then I chose a few specific phrases that I think have immense power 
Um, I think you'll agree, I love you. As spoken to someone can be very life-giving and very powerful. And words that for us are very hard to say, but will you forgive me? When we've wronged someone, if we'll just ask for forgiveness, the freedom that that gives that other person when we will own up to what we've done. And then when someone comes to us with that request and we're able to respond, I forgive you. Clearly we see the fruits and can imagine in our minds the fruits that come when we speak the words that are on the left side, the death and disaster that we have caused others, the pain that we have caused others by our speech, the pain that has been caused to us by this speech, and in contrast, the life that we have brought to others and the life that has been brought to us by our speech. Now I have a question though. Why is it so hard to do that? What's really going on underneath? How do we respond to that? And I'd like, this is where we kind of get to my favorite part. So, I want to read a passage that comes shortly after, not directly after, but the words that we just read in James chapter 3. It's the beginning of James chapter 4. And I think it begins to push us toward the answer. It begins to push us toward the life that we can have and give to others with our tongue. Listen to James 4, 1 through 3. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Certainly our speech is a part of our quarrels and fights. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. So James pushes us a little deeper underneath the surface and says something is going on inside of you that is causing these things to come out. Read Luke chapter 6, 43 and 45 for me. And it, it is such the core of where James has been pointing us throughout the weeks with our thoughts and with our actions to help us get to the root here of what is going on. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So where is this really coming from? What is the real issue here? The real issue here is the heart. Think with me for a minute. He talks about how these fightings have been starting by, by coveting. Think about the different things that go on in our heart and how that plays out in our words. How when we're insecure or fearful or angler or full of pride or envy or coveting, that is what impacts our speech. And, and the same type of speech can be impacted by something different going on in our hearts. For example... Fear of man and people accepting and liking me is a big motivation wrongly for me. So you might catch me lying over something because I just want people to like me. And I'm afraid if they knew the truth, they just wouldn't like me. How You, however, may not care whether anyone likes you or not, but you totally want to be in control of the situation. And so you lie because you're looking to gain control. We both have the same external action 
coming from something different that is going on in our hearts. That's where all these actions and all of these words are coming from that James tells us about. However, praise God, we have Jesus Christ and what he is and what he has given. So our hearts don't have to go looking for that anymore. Pull out, if you have on your tables, this sheet that talks about what I want and what I have in Jesus. I am so excited about this because who Christ is and knowing Christ and experiencing it is totally the answer to what we've been getting at and is the root of where we've been heading in James. Look with me about what happens when we look at Christ and who he is and allow that to fill our hearts. The first thing that we have when we focus on and get that in Christ, of course this takes work, but in Psalm 43, we see that we can go to the altar of God, to God what? My exceeding joy, and I will praise you. When we go to Christ, we can have and experience joy in him, so we don't have to go looking for that elsewhere. The next one. We're always, I mean, think about how much complaining we do because we're dissatisfied. But look at what we're promised when we run to Christ. We're promised satisfaction. In verse 5 of Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. We don't have to live an unsatisfied life. We can have satisfaction. And see the difference when we're satisfied and full of who Christ is. We don't complain, but we give hope to other people because when they're in the same situation we are, we have a hope because we've run to Christ and found that satisfaction we can have. For me, safety, security, and stability are huge. And quite often I'll deceive or manipulate in a situation because I feel so insecure and I'm trying to get that. Which, it's crazy because it's not even going to give me security anyway. But when I run to Christ and find that God is my refuge and strength, he's the very present help in trouble. As we read on, I mean, we, we look at the earth melting before our God. We have every ounce of security and stability that we would ever want and need. And, according to Hebrews 13, Jesus is never going to leave or forsake us. He's not going anywhere. I don't need to try to get security through my actions or through my words. I already have it because of what Jesus has gotten for me. Next, we're always looking for love. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that we, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're looking for people to love us. We don't have to go looking anymore. We have a God who loved us enough to give us his own son. When we run to that, and again, it takes work. It takes me reminding myself of these things a million times a day and living consistent with it, believing that it is really true and allowing that to penetrate my heart so that that overflows in the actions that I need. I'm already fully loved, so I can encourage someone instead of slander them. I'm already fully loved. I don't need any more love. I mean, it'd be nice if I got it from someone, but I don't need it. I have, out of the abundance of my heart, been given from Christ enough love that it can overflow into giving something to someone 
and rather trying to take that from someone else. Isn't this awesome? Aren't you so excited about Christ and who he is and what he's given us? This is so incredibly fabulous to me that everything I ever wanted, I get to the degree that I run to Christ, wrestle and fight for it, and in heaven, I get all of this forever. This to me is so incredible. And we're not even halfway through. I'm so excited. Okay, connected to the love, we have acceptance. We have been adopted as a son, as a daughter. We've been chosen and accepted and brought in, God knowing exactly who we are. He knows, according to Psalm 103, that we're dust. He already knows that, and he's accepted and loved us and brought us in anyway. I love it. 1 John 3, 1. Again, we have an identity. We've been given the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. I don't have to look for who am I anymore. It's there in Christ. It's there in the gospel and what he did for us. That identity of his death and resurrection, he's brought me in. We're all looking for peace. Well, we go looking for it in the wrong place. In Christ, we already have it. He has bought us peace with God. We don't have to go anywhere else to get it. We've got it. Turn the page. We've been talking a whole lot about this. Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death to the degree that we run to him, live consistent with the scriptures. We get to experience that. You know, I think some of us are always looking for some excitement and amazement. I mean, where else can you go that you could find anyone more exciting and amazing than Jesus? Just in this one passage, we see him healing a deaf man, and giving him clear speech when he had a speech impediment. Where, I mean, who else can do that? Where else can you go to be amazed and excited, but to go to Christ and see who he is? I love how it says that they, in verse 37, it says, and they were astonished beyond measure. I love it. In our world, we are so um, looking for beauty. Look at this. We, we go on quest for this in all kinds of different ways. And we have it in two fabulous ways. First is Psalm 27.4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says this. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There is no one more beautiful than him. No one. And this is so fabulous. Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That righteousness means that all of our yucky, stained, unbeautiful clothes and sin, all of the most unbeautiful things we've ever had because of Christ, have been taken and lifted off us, and we have been given an unstained righteousness. The most beautiful thing that you have is righteousness, and it was a gift of Jesus, and we go looking somewhere else 
as if we're really going to find it. It's insane. We are beautiful because Jesus, through justification, gave us the perfection of righteousness that was his. We don't have to go anywhere else looking for any more beauty, ever. Amen. We're all on this purpose quest. What's my purpose? You've been given a purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The specifics of that purpose are sketched out in the scriptures. So we get to learn more about it. You don't need to know it. You don't need to go ask anyone else what your purpose is, why you're here. Jesus gave you one. There are a couple other things that we may want. And we don't ever get these things, but we get to experience a God who has them. We will never be in control. That's not something he gives us. But he is in control, and we are his, and he only does good for us. So we don't need the control, because someone better at control than you and I has it and is working on our behalf. We see in this one passage how Christ was able to calm the wind and the storms. You don't need to worry about control one more second of your life. Jesus has all of it, and he's working it on your behalf. And finally, similar to that, power, looking for power, looking for what it is, looking for power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we run to Christ, and again, none of us do it perfectly, But when we stop trying to fill our hearts and find these things elsewhere, which we'll never find there, but when we run to Christ and have it filled, it makes total sense that what's going to overflow out of that? Life. You can kindly rebuke someone you love, and it doesn't matter whether they love or hate you, because you're already fully loved. You get to speak honesty. Because you're already full and you don't have to feel insecure about what happens to you because God is in control and he's never leaving or forsaking you. You are totally full. Now, when you don't go to Christ and find these things, it makes every amount of sense that what comes out of us is death. Our actions and our words are an overflow of what's going on in our heart. So, I'm not going to leave the X's up there. That's yucky. We do that, but it's yucky. Um, The final things, your words and actions overflow from your heart. That is the key. Every degree that we run to and find and realize and live consistent with all these things that we are in Christ and get to know even more than we are in Christ, but just know him and are excited and amazed and filled with beauty and awe at who he is, that overflows into the life that we've been talking about all through the book of James. Secondly, working on your heart is much harder. This is not easy. I do not anticipate that anyone will leave here and perfectly live this tomorrow. This is the journey of the rest of our life until we die or Jesus comes back to take us home and we get it all. This is the journey of the rest of our life and... It's much more fruitful because if we work on these things in our heart, it overflows in our actions and our words in all kinds of different ways. 
And it's also much more freeing to the degree that we live consistent with these things. Our heart is freed from the need for security from someone or something else. We're freed from the need for control. We are freed and experience the freedom of those things because we realize we already have that. And finally, if you... I mean, this is not a secret. My favorite verse in the Bible is John 17, 3, and it says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is knowing and be amazed by Christ and who he is with all that he has given us because of his death and resurrection. This is the heart that gets to be filled with Jesus and who he is now and for eternity. So in a sense, give everything you have to know Jesus and the rest will fall into place. That sounds kind of silly until you look specifically, or it sounds churchy, but you don't know quite what that means. Now do you see what it means? That as we give everything to know and experience that, what comes out of our life, our mouth and our actions, is life-giving words. And when we don't, there is death and other negative things that come out of it. Isn't Jesus the most fabulous person you've ever met in your entire life? I think he is so awesome, I can't stand it. Pray with me. Jesus, you are so amazing. Who you are and what you have done for me, for us, To get even one of these realities when we don't deserve it would be awesome. But to imagine every longing and desire of of our hearts to be able to be filled to overflowing is so unspeakably astonishing and astounding to me. I, I just think that you are so amazing. And you are. And we praise you for your majesty, for your perfection, and for how incredibly beautiful you are. God, this is a lifelong journey for each one of us. None of us is going to live consistent with this tomorrow or the next day. But God, I pray that you would enable each one of us to take steps in that journey, to live consistently with what is already true, because of Jesus and because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. We are so blessed to know you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.